He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. eyes unclouded by hate hello everybody how are you doing today does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice we hope we really do hi my name is charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer ce dorset and i'm here today to talk to you about the other side bum 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 and i actually mean this kind of as a term of art um Okay, so in the uh, various Kabbalistic schools of Judaism, they refer to something called the Sitra Ara, the other side, the opposite side. And depending on the school, and I'm not going to pick one for this discussion because it's not necessary for our current talk, but... Most of the easiest ways to understand this concept is whatever side you're talking about, there is the other side. Now, the other side is usually used when speaking of the ten um, manifestations of God, the uh, Sifiroth, or the Sifiroth, depending on how you want to say this. I learned it as Sifiroth, so... That's how I will probably be referring to them. So each Sifra is one of the divine energies of God that has built and maintains the universe. That each one, in successive order, flowed out of God. And so traditionally speaking, we're talking about the crown, which is the manifestation of God's will, wisdom, understanding, Kindness, also translated loving-kindness, this is a chesed, which is one of the uh, main things that we are to be doing in this world. Um, Strength, severity, or judgment. Um, Beauty, eternity, victory, perpetuity, depending on how you want to bring that word into English. Um, Splendor, the foundation, and the kingship or kingdom of God, and that these ten powers manifested themselves first at the beginning of creation, and they are the underpinning of the world. It's a lot more complex than that. This is kind of a very simple pre-101 on them. If you want me to go into more detail about the Sifarot in the future, I will. Um, They're actually something that I love talking about, and I think that they actually help us understand the world and our relationship to it in very interesting and powerful ways. Often when we talk about the Sitra Ara, then what this is, what we're talking about is the um, Kelipot or the uh, Klifot, the uh, other side, the basically the opposites of these things. And everything that we are meant to be doing in this world is 
for the restoration of it. Like, our entire purpose here on Earth is to reconcile the universe to God, to reconcile the cosmos to God, even the other side. Nothing in this way of thinking is necessarily beyond the redemptive or atoning powers of God. So, that's a very important place to start. You know, when we are practicing tikkun olam, the perfection of the world, and practicing our teshuva, our turning of our minds back to God, the whole point and purpose of these activities is to bring the whole world back into alignment with the divine plan and with the divine purpose, with the power of providence, which we see in the master plan of the Ten Sifroth. So we're trying to bring about compassion and justice and wisdom and understanding and beauty and victory and glory and, you know, all, all of these things we're, we're attempting to bring more fully into the world. Now, <clears throat> the problem that I have with today's world, and especially today's religious world, is so many pastors have become obsessed with the other side. And I can't tell you how many times I've ran into a Christian minister, either online or sometimes even in person, who has unironically referred to themselves as a demonologist. And we're not going to be talking about exorcism or any of those things today, but I, I think that should ring an alarm bell in their own heads. If you're spending all of your time studying bad things, what are you actually doing to bring good? If everything in our theology is about the other and how the other is so bad and that the other is evil and that the other is beyond redemption, oh, we, we've kind of left the very solid foundation, the rock that Jesus built the church on. That's not something that we should be even entertaining in our minds. And I hear this on all sides. And trust me, I am not one of those people who likes to make the on all sides arguments. But I hear this from leftist friends of mine. I hear this from right wing friends of mine. And I am not a centrist by any means of the by any stretch of the imagination. But I have to believe that even the worst can be redeemed. See, I've told this story on previous podcasts, and I'm probably going to be keep telling it because it's kind of the foundation story of my own, you know, faith journey. Many, many, many years ago, when I was 16, I was contemplating suicide, and I came across a book that my great-aunt had given me called The Secret of the Rosary by Saint-Louis de Montfort. And I read this book instead of killing myself that night. And in this book, in a chapter titled The Black Rose, St. Louis says that even the blackest sorcerer with one foot in hell, if he say 
the rosary with devotion in his heart can be saved. And while today is not necessarily going to be about the power of the rosary, or the many, many benefits I think we would get from practicing such practice, that very idea that even someone who had so turned their backs on the work of the divine and had aligned themselves with all the evil and foul powers in the universe could be saved if only they wanted to, if only they tried. And that is what turned me around. That's what saved me in that first dark hour. Because I had thought that with all the terrible, terrible things that I had done, if I took myself out of the equation, then at least I was bringing some goodness into the world by my absence. And that's a very dark place to be in your head. And I feel it's very important if any of you feel like you are in that place or are have ever thought about being in that place, it's a lie. We are here to bring about the restoration of the world, the Takun Olam, that we are here to restore everything to a state of glory, to a state of peace. And we can do that in a lot of different ways. But we can't do that if we're not here, if we're not trying. And we can't do that if we're going to use rhetoric about anyone who disagrees with us that makes them so much into the other that they are beyond the saving hand of God. Now, I don't want to get into the endless lists of hypotheticals that could come about here because they are endless and they are hypothetical. And to the best of our knowledge, most of the names that get brought up here don't matter <laughs> because as far as we know, they never actually tried to change their ways. The thought never entered their mind. And so it's not really worth talking about in that type of hypothetical with real people. And I also say that because I don't think it's our place to put judgment on others. Remember, Christ taught us that we will be judged by the same standards that we ourselves apply. And I'm not saying that by not judging others that we are not going to be judged, but if we are very strictly going to nitpick every little thing that a person says or does to determine whether or not they are righteous, then that standard will be applied to us, either in this world or the next, and that's not a uh, comforting place to be. That's not where I want to be. That's not the experience that I want to have. And that's not what I want to put out into the world. When we talk about the other side, those who disagree with us. So I come from the creation spirituality tradition, and we have a very clear other side, and that's the fall redemption. Faith or theology. And I was a part of that for a very long time. I participated in that first in the Baptist church, then in the Catholic church, and then, you know, in several non-denominational churches in between. And I have nothing but compassion for people who are still locked in that mindset of an angry, judging God that 
really only cares how much you line up with a 2,000-year-old rulebook. You know, the god that I worship is the god that Malachi worshipped. What is expected of you, mortal? That you do justice, that you love kindness, and that you walk humbly before your god. You know, I worship the same god that, you know, Rabbi Hillel worshipped. When asked if he could explain the entire Torah while standing on one foot, if he could recite everything, all five books, the first five books of the Bible, while standing on one foot, he stood on one foot and said, that which you find hateful, do not do that to others. The rest is commentary. Now go and study. And Jesus himself says that there are only two commandments, that we love God with all our heart, mind, and spirit, and that we love our neighbor as ourselves, that on these two things, all the others hinge. That's the same thought there. Everything that we are meant to do from a Christian point of view is rooted in love, in compassion, in chesed, in loving kindness, in being able to look at others and at least hope that there could be some good there that could be nurtured and brought out, no matter how hard, difficult, or challenging that might be. This, to me, is the heart of Christianity, and to see it get lost by televangelists who are preaching a money gospel or are preaching a divine slot machine in the sky, because they don't seem to claim that you'll get a 100% payback, so it's kind of like buying divine lottery tickets every time you pray. We'll be talking about that soon. No. The whole point and purpose of everything that we do in this world is to find compassion and to learn to live in the interdependence between us, to see each other as equals, as seeing the divine image in the other person. When we were created, God breathed into us the divine image. That is the root story of our faith. We are one people of one blood. We are of one flesh. And we know this from science. There is a genetic Adam. There is a genetic Eve. Our species has an origin point. And no, that wasn't something that happened 6,000 years ago. It happened millions of years ago. And that's even more fascinating. All this time, all these people, and we've all been seeking for the same things. Community, security, justice, harmony. And there have been the few bad seeds among us that are questioning for power and authority and domination over others. But our very nature is that divine image. And within each and every one of us, we have that wisdom, that understanding, that loving kindness, that strength, beauty, that perpetuity, the victory, the splendor that is the foundation of a righteous life, that is the kingdom of God. And if we live in accordance with those energies, Christ tells us, Paul tells us, so many of the early church fathers tell us, we will inherit that crown. We will have the crown of life placed upon our heads. And that is such a powerful image. That is such a powerful thing for us to work for. 
and we really shouldn't be spending all of our time finding ways to demonize those that disagree with us. This is a seed that got built into the church very early on at one of its early de developmental stages by people like Athanasius and Arrhenius and others who felt that it was their job to police the faith. And I'm not saying that what they did was right or wrong, because I think there's very valid arguments to be made on all sides of that. And I tend to believe that what they did was for the better. They tried to root out Gnosticism, this idea that there's a secret knowledge that only those that possess it will go to heaven. The problem is they didn't root it out well enough, and now that is the core of most evangelical thought. If you don't say the secret prayer. See, that was my first crisis of faith. I went to an evangelical church, and we really believe that if you don't say the prayer of faith, that's how it was always worded, the prayer of faith, then you will not be saved. Then you are not saved. And I scoured the Bible trying to find the prayer of faith, and I sat with the pastor, and we looked, and we looked. Guess what? Nowhere in the Bible is the prayer of faith. That secret Gnostic knowledge that I have to proclaim into the world so that I can be saved, so that I can be one of the chosen, that's not in there. And so I have to take it on faith that the church that I belong to actually knows that divine secret and has told me that divine secret so that I can actually make it into heaven? Ugh, that's not good. That's Gnosticism come back. We don't want to see it that way because we want to think about Gnosticism as, well, the Sethians or the, you know, Kenites or any of the many, many school, the Valentinians who I actually think had some interesting things to say, even if they were snobbish about how they said it. Because like St. Augustine said, and even St. Augustine said, that it is our job in Christian charity to find truth even in heresy, that it is our job to seek out the truth wherever it can be found, and even in the blackest heresy, sometimes there is truth. In his book on love, or sometimes titled On Charity, it really depends on, you know, who did your translation work. Um, he actually puts forward that this is one of the main things that we as Christians are supposed to do, is seek down, find wisdom, and collect it. Find the truth wherever it is, even if it is in the darkest heresies. And then he goes through what one of the heresies that he considers to be, frankly, horrifying, in his own words, and shows the few good things that they had in them. Because this is what we are supposed to do. Blessed are the peacemakers, said Jesus, for they shall be called the children of God. Well, every person of faith, especially in Christian circles, believes that they are a child of God. Jesus says there's a condition on that, that you have to be a peacemaker. Origen, one of the reasons that made things that made him so controversial in the first centuries of the faith, was that he believed that that philosophy had to be brought to scripture. He said that the scriptures argue with themselves, and it is our Christian duty to bring peace amongst them, and to see the conflict that they have within them, and to bring that to peace. And of course, he was declared a heretic, and undeclared a heretic, and declared a heretic, and undeclared a heretic, and in the end, I don't I think at the the final analysis he was undeclared, but eh, that was thousands of years ago. Well, it was over a thousand years ago. 
and it doesn't really matter today. Because even if he was found to be a heretic, it is our job, says Augustine, to look into his work for anything that may be valuable there. So when someone like me reads through the Jesus Sutras, which are very Nestorian in their writing, and I find them almost troubling to read because of how Nestorian they are. For those who don't know, Nestorianism was um, a theology put forward by a bishop named Nestor that was very popular, especially in the Arabian Peninsula, and doesn't exist so much today as a Christian phenomenon because most of its adherents converted to Islam. And in fact, um, Muhammad's brother-in-law was an Nestorian priest, and his wife Khadija brought him to him after he started receiving the first revelations of the uh, Quran to discern whether he was hearing from God or jinn. And so a lot of Nestorians converted to, to Islam in its early years, and that's kind of where that branch of the faith went. And if you actually look within Islam, they, they still have a lot of Nestorian beliefs within them. And the, the, the biggest one was that Jesus was not God incarnate, that Jesus was a man. And that's what a lot of the arguments were about there. But when I look through these texts, when I read these texts, my, my point and purpose should not be to find the aha moments, especially when you actually hear the things that a lot of these aha people pull out of these texts. Oh, look, the Quran says, go and kill people. You know what? So does the Bible. The Bible tells us to burn the witches, to kill the infidels. The entire book of Joshua is a textbook on genocide in which the God of Joshua, who I, I personally am not 100% convinced is the God of Moses or Abraham, punishes them for not properly performing the works of genocide. See, you can look into any text, you can look into anything and find what's wrong with it. And sometimes that's necessary. Sometimes that's something we need to do. But in our work as Christians, in our work as faithful people who want to live in the power and promise of the Holy Spirit, our main goal should be to find reconciliation and to bring everyone together. In fact, if you are a Christian and you believe the Bible, as these people constantly proclaim that they do, then I want to point out that God made a covenant with Noah. And as long as people are living in accord with that covenant, which had only seven rules in it, that they're building houses of judgment, that they're not openly blaspheming God, that they're not raping other people, that they're not torturing animals. You know, basic kinds of things. Then they're okay. Because that's the first covenant. That's the covenant of Noah. And if you really, truly believe 100% that the Bible is the divinely inspired word of God and that every word of it is beyond reproach, which I do not, just for the record. 
then you but if you're one of those people who's of that point of view then you have to accept all of it including the fact that the covenant of noah is still in effect and anybody who lives up to the covenant of noah is okay theologically speaking and you know what most every world religion even the atheists abide mostly by the rules of the Noahide covenant. I know we're not supposed to talk about that, but here we are. Because we are trying to find peace. Because we want to be children of God. We want to be everything that Christ wanted us to be. And so here we are. This desire to point out the other side, this need that people have internalized to point to others and to demonize them and to make them scary, it's an easy way to gain followers. In fact, Adolf Hitler, in his book Mein Kampf, advocates such a thing. He says, Fear is the master. Fear is the strongest emotion that people have, and it can overwhelm any other emotion, even love. So as long as they have something to fear, you can control them. Yeah, we should not be taking advice from Adolf Hitler. Ever. But you know what? In the spirit of Christian unity... I can see the wisdom in that and see what people who are trying to do that particular thing are trying to do. They don't have a strong message. They're not advocating that people come together and do the things, the hard work that God has asked of us to reconcile others, to bring peace to this fractured world. Instead, they're pointing out the fractures and saying, be afraid, be very afraid. Fear is the opposite of love, the scripture tells us. Fear is the opposite of faith, the scriptures tell us. All we are supposed to do is act in faith. All we are supposed to do is act in love. Remember, whatever is not of love is not of God, says James. And he was Jesus' half-brother, so, you know, he, he probably had a fairly good understanding of the things Jesus taught. You know, just saying. He grew up with him. <laughs> yeah. Took over the church when Jesus died. So, you know, you'd think he kind of knew what Jesus was all about, right? So... Don't give in to those who want you to demonize the other side. Whatever that other side is. Bring peace. Find a way to bring peace. It's not easy. And that's why we practice compassion every day. And if you don't know how to do that, there's this wonderful Buddhist practice. It's called Metta practice. Metta means compassion or loving kindness. I believe in Pali. Maybe in Sanskrit. But I believe that's a Pali word. And it's a very simple prayer and you can say it as a prayer or if you want to make it into a full meditation you just think of people that fit each category as you say it right okay so you start with yourself 
Because if you're not having compassion towards yourself, you're not going to have it towards others. And so you start with yourself and you move outwards. So let's do it together real quick. May I be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May I be filled with peace. I'm sorry, may I be filled with joy and the causes of joy. Okay. And now we move out a circle. Next circle out. May my family be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May my family be filled with joy and the causes of joy. Okay, so that's two. Let's go out to the third level. May my friends be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May my friends be filled with joy and the causes of joy. Now we go out one more level. May the stranger, you know, the people you don't know, may the strangers be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May the strangers be filled with joy and the causes of joy. And now we go out for the fifth and final level. May our enemies be free from suffering and the causes of suffering. May our enemies be filled with joy and the causes of joy. Remember Jesus said we should pray for our enemies. Love your enemies. What good is it for a man if he loves his friends? Do not even the sinners do that. Love your enemies. Pray for them who despitefully use you. It's hard to do. And remember, the causes of suffering are the things that make them our enemies. So if we can, by some means, help them to be free from the causes of suffering, hatred is a cause of suffering, jealousy is a cause of suffering, Hunger is a cause of suffering. Unjust imprisonment is a cause of suffering. All of these things are causes of suffering, and so many others. If they are free from the causes of suffering, then they will be less likely to be a cause of suffering themselves. And when we say, be filled with the causes of joy, we're not talking about that their wishes will come true. We have a very simple idea of joy. No, 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 no. Very quick, quickly, the causes of joy are wisdom, understanding, compassion. Those things that free us from our sense of being isolated, separate selves and being one interconnected people. And see, when our enemies learn to see the world that way, they're not going to be our enemies anymore. So try taking up a meta practice. We'll probably be talking about it a lot on this podcast. It's one of my favorite things to do. And on that note, I'm going to let you go for today. I want to thank you for listening. It really does mean the world to me. I, I really enjoy doing this and talking about these subjects with you. If you like this episode and you think that you know somebody else who would like this episode, please share it with them. This podcast grows primarily because of the wonderful word of mouth that you all bring to it. Um, I'm going to try to actually buy some ads and help spread what we're doing here, but, you know, money is tight. If the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or this podcast and you like it, which is it's not a lot to ask that you like. <laughs> Please take a moment to rate the podcast in that way. 
that you can. It really does help a lot and helps us, uh, helps me get more audience and get more people to hear what we're saying. And finally, if I really want to make this my full-time job, I really do enjoy taking time and sharing what I've learned and learning together with others. And so I really would like this to be my day job. And so I've partnered with the people at um, Anchor who are hosting this podcast. And either in the app that you're listening to me on, there'll be a button that says support. Or in the show notes, there'll be a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, you can support me at the $1, $5, or $10 levels a month. And that really will help me out a lot as I try to make this my regular day job. And I can then spend a lot more time, energy, and effort to doing this rather than other things. Um, that money goes to me. That money helps me do, th do th this instead of other things that I do to make money. So um, please, if you can and you feel like you want to do that. I did think about starting a Patreon, but I thought that this would work best as kind of a tip jar on the side instead of making promises that, you know, I don't know. It felt weird. But if, if you can help support the show, please, please do. It means the world to me. Thank you for listening. Until next time, may God bless you and keep you, and may you grow in wisdom and compassion. Amen.